which is typically Torah studies, but tonight we have a very special edition of Torah studies that we like to call High Holiday Boot Camp. And the reason why we call it High Holiday Boot Camp, and we try to say it three times fast, is because this is going to be exploring the soul of the holidays. Um, this is going to be exploring the themes, deeper themes of the upcoming High Holidays. We have one class on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. We have our second class will be on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And the third class will be on Sukkot, the festival of, I want to say, what do we call it? The festival of the tabernacle? Yes, is that what they're calling it? Is that what the kids call it nowadays? Sukkot, the festival of booths? Booths? Yeah. In my, in my day, this is what I'm going to say. In my day, the festival of booths was a school carnival when they had a dunk tank and an apple bobbing situation, whatever. Nonetheless, we are going to have a class on the Booth Festival, a.k.a. Sukkot. Now, just a word of scheduling before we get started. So this week, tonight, Wednesday, is session one of Boot Camp. Session two does not take place next Wednesday, next Wednesday because next Wednesday at this time is still Rosh Hashanah. So, right? It's not, so Rosh Hashanah. So we are, day two of Rosh Hashanah. So we're going to push off the class, not push off, the second session of High Holiday Boot Camp um, slash Holiday Edition of Torah Studies is going to be, who's got, who's got that information? Is it Sunday or Monday? The, the second session of this. I think it's Monday. Yes. It's going to be Monday. Sunday. Su Sunday. It's, oh, it's Sunday. Thank Sunday the 12th. Perfect. 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 You guys know the schedule better than me. I don't need to know when. I just need to know what. I'm kidding. I also need to know when. So the 12th and 19th is going to be the next ones. But, but you didn't come here tonight to find out about the schedule. Although it's good also to know about the schedule. You came here to learn about Rosh Hashanah, and that's what we're going to do. But first, I need to mention a special blessing. Special bracha. Um, tonight's class is sponsored by Adina Malka Northrup in honor of the merit of her son Ben, Binyamin Yitzchak Yisrael Ben Adina Malka. He should have a refuah shleim ukrova, a complete and speedy recovery. And uh, there should be only good health in the family, only good health for you and your son. And he should give you nachas, and you should give him nachas, and it should be a nachas party as, uh, as is uh, a beautiful thing. The High Holiday Boot Camp is also sponsored by Dr. Alex Pollock, and uh, thank you to Alex for that sponsorship as well. Okay, let's begin. So I want to begin by talking about cancel culture. Raise of hand, have you ever heard of cancel, somebody being canceled? Yes? Cancel culture? Yes? Okay. Um, the good news is, here's the good news, guys. Tonight's class, tonight's class has not been canceled. This is, we're still, we're still like in good, hopefully, I mean, I don't know, we'll find out after tonight's class, you'll be like, oh, cancel Rabbi Ari. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Cancel, no. My mom is saying no. Now, mom, I know you'll never cancel me. I'll never cancel you. We have each other. If all else fails, we have each other. But nonetheless, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Cancel culture is this idea, this notion that when somebody, it's not an if, it's when somebody does something wrong that we don't like as a society, so the online mob or not online mob, whatever, people get together and they say, canceled. Canceled. You did the wrong thing. You said the wrong thing. That's it. Ice, I rise from Lubavitch. You're done. You're out. You're kicked out. That's it. Forget about it. And... Um, I don't know. I happen to be looking up a list. I happen to have it on my phone. 
you know, one of these uh, BuzzFeed style, I said style, I don't think it's from BuzzFeed.com itself. 10 biggest celebrity cancellations of 2021 so far. You ready? I, I didn't write this list. I don't know everybody from this list, but you might, and you might also get a sense of what I'm talking about. All right, number 10, Piers Morgan. Number nine, Da Baby. I don't know. Number eight, Matt Damon. Number seven, David Dobrik. Number six, Marilyn Manson. Number five, Chrissy Teigen. Number four, Demi Lovato. Number three, Erica Jane. Number two, Arnie Hammer. I thought it was Arm and Hammer, but I guess Arnie Hammer is also some guy. And number one is Justin Timberlake. And you're thinking, oh, I didn't know he was canceled. This is not my list. And so if you want to know why Arm, these guys. Huh? Army Hammer. What did I oh, Is it Army Hammer? Oh, Army Hammer. Yes, Army Hammer. Yeah, but it still sounds like Arm and Hammer. I'm, right? Arm, arm and Hammer. All right, whatever it is. The point is like this. That we live in a society. Arm and hammer, exactly. The point is, we live in a society and a culture which is very intolerant. I'm just, look, some people you might say they should have been canceled, whatever. I'm not going to weigh in on details. My point is not the details, my point is the culture. The culture right now in our country and in other countries as well, I can't speak for everybody and, and certainly no individuals, but the culture is one in which it's very intolerant. It's either you agree with me or you're wrong, and that's it. We can't have discussions about things. We can't have, you know, a lot of discourses shut down because people don't see eye to eye and therefore cannot even have a civil conversation. And if you don't believe me, well, believe me. This is the way it is. The way it is, oh, if you don't believe me, then you're canceled. No, I'm kidding. This is, this is the reality. The reality is that people are very intolerant of other people and other people's views that are not the same. Um, it spills over into many areas of life. It spills over into relationships, into communities, into neighborhoods, into synagogues, into synagogue boards, into, you know the one about the rabbi? The rabbi wasn't feeling well. The rabbi was in the hospital. And the president of the board comes over to the rabbi and he says, I bring greetings from the, um, from the board. The rabbi says, thank you. The president of the board says, I have good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? Um, the rabbi says, I'll take the good news. He says, okay, what's the good news? The good news is that on behalf of the board, I'd like to wish you a speedy recovery. The rabbi says, and what's the bad news? Bad news is the vote was 8-7. Anyway, the point is like this. That was a joke. So the point is, yeah, no, we don't like uh, Jewish uh, synagogue board jokes. Fine. Getting back to the point. We, it's hard, for some reason today, it's hard for people to talk to each other. It's hard for people to tolerate and respect someone who has a different opinion. I didn't even bring up the P word. Yeah, politics, right? I'm not even, I didn't even bring up politics, but like, let alone, it's like, you, you know, it's like third rail action. You can't have a conversation. Everyone blows up. It's a thing. I know not everyone, you and I, present company excluded, we're all friendly and nice. But the reality is, the world is a bit of a harsh place. And, you know, one of the things, if, has anybody read the book, Rabbi Telushkin's biography of the Lubavitcher Rebbe? Have you ever read that book? Yes? Joseph Telushkin's book. It's called, I think, Rebbe? Okay. It's a great book. A um, lot of stories, really beautiful ideas. One of the things that Rabbi Telushkin brings out is this idea that the Rebbe had a way of disagreeing with somebody without being disagreeable. And there's a difference. 
right? You can disagree with someone, but you don't have to be disagreeable. It doesn't have to turn into a war. It doesn't have to turn into a fight. Do you guys agree with me? Do you guys disagree with me? Because, you know, just saying, I, I'm the host of the Zoom. I'm kidding. So here's the point. Here's the point. Um, no, that was a joke because we're talking about cancel culture. So the deal is we, I would say one of the challenges of our generation is learning how to be tolerant of each other, especially those that have different views. I'm going to share an idea that I've shared before. Again, all of this is, is within, the, within the introduction of today's, thank you, Ariel, perfect, is within the, um, uh, as an introduction to this lesson. Um, when somebody shares their opinion on something and you agree with it, you know what you say? You say, I love what you just said. That means, when you say, I love that, it means you agree with it. What happens when you don't agree with what the person says? Are you able to say, I respect that? Or do you say, you're crazy for saying that? That's the question. Do we have the ability to say, I don't love it. It's not my opinion. It's not my, not my position. It's not how I feel. But I, I respect your opinion. Do we have that ability or are, do we live in such intolerant times where somebody disagrees, that's it. Done, finito, unfriended on Facebook, blocked on Twitter, that's it. That's the question. It's a question you don't have to answer. It's a question that we need to think about not only for society but also for ourselves. How well do we get along with others? Which brings me to our conversation. So this class is going to meld, blend together a discussion about Rosh Hashanah along with the upcoming Jewish New Year along with a conversation about this week's Torah portion which is Nitzavim. And what's interesting is every year without exception, a leap year, not a leap year, it doesn't make a difference. Every single Jewish year. This Torah portion that we're going to read this week, Nitzavim, always is read, is always read on the Shabbat immediately preceding Rosh Hashanah. Which tells us that there is a conceptual connection, a thematic connection between Nitzavim and Rosh Hashanah. And I want to share with you a text, a beautiful text, and I apologize for our in-person crew, my printer at least between my, the connection between my printer and computer was not working, so you'll have to just believe me and the, the online folks can corroborate that I'm not making these texts up. But let's take a look at the, um, at the, on, oh yes, right, you can actually fact check me by pulling up the zoo, oh, that's like simulcast, in person and online. Yeah, that's, um, that's like at a baseball game. I remember back in the day, people would be at the baseball game listening to the radio. Right? They would listen, because like you get the play-by-play the -play going on, and you're, all right. So here we go. Text one is from the Shalah. I'm going to read this. Text one from Rabbi Yeshayo Halevi Horowitz, Shnei Luchot Habrit, the acronym of which Shnei Luchot Habrit is Shalah. He write, he was a mystic, a philosopher, he's just a great scholar, and he writes the following. The cycle of annual festivals, whether biblical or rabbinic, in other words, whether it's a biblical holiday or a rabbinic holiday, so biblical holidays would be Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Passover, etc., a rabbinic holidays would be Hanukkah, Purim. I mean, those are the ones. 
So whether they're biblical or rabbinic, the festivals, as well as the fast days, including the ninth above, they are associated with the Torah portion that we chant on the Shabbat closest to that day. So even though you might say, look, a Torah portion is a Torah portion, and a holiday is a holiday, and there's two different systems. You have the Torah portion system that unfolds, you know, every single week, one after the other, and then you have the holidays interspersed, and maybe they don't align. The Shalah says, are you kidding me? They don't align. In God's world, they're not going to align. If, if um, Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock, if everything he put in his films was part of the plot, Certainly God can figure out how to make sure that everything lines up in a way that fits. So every single holiday is associated in concept, thematically, with the Torah portion that's read bismichut, in uh, proximity, which takes us to our conversation tonight, which is what is this week's Torah portion? The Torah portion that's read on this Saturday is two days before Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. All right three days before two and a half days before Rosh Hashanah okay and that means that there's a connection between Nitzavim and Rosh Hashanah let's find out what that is so to find out what that is we're going to look at text number two text number two is the opening of this week's Torah portion Nitzavim and I'm going to read the English and let's take a look actually you know what let's ask um, Adina Malka Adina Malka are you I can't see you but I'm sure you're here even though I can't see you to scroll through all my, uh, my, my folks here. Adina Malka, are you here? Yeah. All right, there you go. I hear your voice. All right. Did you not see me? Uh, yeah, but you know, I have a little thing on the side with only a few people and I have to scroll through, so don't, don't worry about me. But I'm glad, I, I'm glad you're here. Text number two, please read this one from the opening of our Torah portion. Take it away. You are standing on this day all together before God, your God. The leader of the your elders and the officers, every man of his death. Your young children, your women, and your converts, and your senior the woodcutters, and the water. Okay, thank you, thank you. So here's the deal. Moses begins this week's Torah portion by saying the following. You're all standing here today. He gathered. Hold on. This is the last day of his life. This was the seventh of Adar. The year 2488 from creation, he's standing there with the entire Jewish people, and he's saying to them, you are all standing, well, I don't know if he's standing, I guess he's standing. He says to them, you are standing on this day all together before God, before God your God, the leaders of your tribes, elders, officers, everyone, children, women, the convert, the woodcutters, the water carriers, in other words, everybody is standing here. And what's the key word? You're all standing here together. Everyone is standing together, and there's a sense of unity. Even though, and this is something we're going to emphasize in tonight's class as we speak about the antidote to cancel culture. Remember, the, we're talking about cancel culture, a culture where people negate and cancel each other. If you're different, then you're out. That's the culture. We're trying to counteract the culture with some Torah thoughts and some... Jewish holiday thoughts. The Torah portion, this Torah portion opens up with Moses saying to the people who were all gathered in front of him, he was pointing out that they're all standing together in unity before God. Take a look at this beautiful explanation from the great Hasidic master, Rabbi Aaron of Karlin. 
This is text number three. I'm going to read this. It is well known that wherever the Torah employs the phrase this day, it refers to Rosh Hashanah. Remember, Moses says you're standing this day before God, but the Hasidic understanding, and it's really sourced in, in some ancient um, commentaries as well, it says, what does Hayom mean? Hayom means today. But literally it meant today, the day that Moses spoke to them, the last day of his life, which was the seventh of Adar. But, I don't know if it's figuratively, but uh, uh, less literally, it's referring, Hayom means the day, Rosh Hashanah is the day, the day of judgment. So that's what he says. It's well known that wherever Torah says this day refers to Rosh Hashanah. On the Shabbat, listen to this, on the Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah, we read, you are standing on this day in Atem Nitzav Mayom to teach us that as we approach Rosh Hashanah, every person must stand before God. What does that mean, every person must stand before God? Here's what, you could learn that, you could understand that different ways, but here's how I, we're going to understand this tonight. Every person must be standing before God and be inclusive of the other and be welcoming to the other person. That's the, that's the message. You are all standing here today before God. All standing here equally before God. And, and who's enumerated? Who's enumerated? The elders, the heads of the tribes, right? The leaders, all the way, and I'm going to use the word down, all the way down, and tonight's class is trying to negate that idea of higher and lower, but just, just to get this ball rolling, Moses enumerates from the leaders down, so to speak, to the woodchoppers and the water carriers. You know, you would think a, wood, uh, a leader is, you know, very important. And the water, the woodchopper, all right, yeah. And the water carrier, it's not, not, not such, a, such a prominent position. And Moses says, You're all standing here together, which evokes the idea of oneness, what we would call in Hebrew, which means a oneness and a unity. It's like inclusion. It's, a, it's about embracing the other, even though they're different. They're different. You have this role. They have that role. You embrace them. The question is, how do, how do we do that? How do we move from a place of fragmentation, a place where we judge the other? We say, oh, I'm here, you're there. Oh, you're different than me, canceled. How do we move from that place of divisiveness to a place of embracing unity? And the answer is, when are you at the mitzav hayom kuchem? When do you stand all together before God? Sorry, when do, I just messed that up. When do you all stand together in unison? When you're lefnei Hashem. When you stand, when you, when you reflect on the way everyone appears to God. In other words, the meditation here is, and this is something, this is, we have one theme tonight, and it's a powerful theme. We're, gonna, we're, we're going to look at it from multiple angles. The, the core idea that we're going to explore tonight is moving away from a, from a human perspective. I'm going to call it flawed. Human perspective of fragmentation and divisiveness, where we look at the other one and say, you're different and therefore you're not like me and therefore you're not the same and therefore you're not equal and therefore you're not as valued as me. And I don't like you and I don't like, right, God forbid. But we move from that place to a place of love and embrace. And how do we do that? When we realize, when we embrace God's perspective. And that's what it means. You're standing here all together before God. When we recognize God, when we put God in the picture, then we can embrace 
the other one. What does that mean? On a very general level, without delving into the details, when we recognize that God looks at everyone in the same way, then that hopefully reminds us to look at each other in the same way as well, embracing the other. Let me share a text with you. This is going to be a bit of a mystical text. It's going to be a little bit of a Kabbalistic terminology, but bear with me, and I'm going to explain it, and uh, this will be the, the core idea of the class. Actually, I'm sorry, we're going to do two texts, text four and then text five. Text four comes from the Midrash, the Midrash Tan Chuma. The Midrash says, even though I got in the word, in, in the speaking from the first person of God, so to speak, even though I appointed leaders, elders, and officers over you, you are all equal in my eyes. This is God speaking, so to speak, right? God says, yes, some of you are leaders, some of you are heads of tribes, etc., but you're all equally, you're all equal in my eyes. As the verse says, every Jewish person called Ish Israel, everyone is grouped together as one in oneness. In the language of Kabbalah, this is what I mentioned just a moment ago. This is the Kabbalistic text, text 5. This is from the author of the founder of Chabad. He writes in the Kodei Torah, they gather. Listen to this. The movement from divisiveness to unity is they gather from the multi multiplicious world, maybe? Multiplicious world in, into which their mindsets have had dipped. So you go from the world of fragmentation, this one inclined this way and that one the other way, etc. And they form instead a singular domain in keeping with the divine oneness. I told you it was going to sound mystical. Look at this. Now we're, now we're suddenly mystics. But look what he says. There's a world in a world of multiplicity and divisiveness. And it, you know, diversity is a good thing, but divisiveness is not. Um, it's good to have differences, but not when they create differences amongst our hearts and our souls. So moving from the place of multiplicity, from the place of divisiveness, where we can sometimes fall into, where one person feels this way and the other person feels that way, and they fight because they feel differently, to move from there instead to a rishus hayachid, to a domain of oneness, in keeping with the divine oneness, that is the goal. The goal is to move from fragmentation to unity. The question is how tonight four or five, I think four, four approaches, four strategies for um, moving away from divisiveness into a place of unity. So what we've established thus far, just to recap, we've established thus far that the world that we live in right now, the society that we live in is very divisive. It's so divisive that if somebody doesn't agree with us, we cancel them. That's, that's what's going on right now in the world. That's the temperature of the world, right? We're all fighting. We can't talk. We can't have, you know, it's just, it, it's like, it's so hostile. It's so, it's so contentious. So that's, that's the deal. Then we spoke about the fact that Rosh Hashanah is coming up. And there's a Torah portion this week, Nitzavim. And the two are connected, Rosh Hashanah and Nitzavim. So if you want to know the nature of Rosh Hashanah, what, we're, what our avodah, what our service is, what we're supposed to be working on this time of year, let's look at the opening verses of this week's Torah portion, which talks about Jewish unity. Moses says, you're all standing together. Even though some of you are leaders, and some of you are, are elders, and some of you are you know, important positions or what people consider to be positions of prominence. And others are, are do in their day job things that others might not seem to uh, think to be so prominent, wood choppers and water carriers. Nonetheless, 
You're all standing in unity. And how is that possible? When you adopt a divine mindset. What does that mean, a divine mindset? It's the difference between a divisive mindset and a unified mindset. Human beings can devolve, it's slip or sink into a mindset of me versus you. Right? Me versus you. You agree with me. You're on my team. If not, you're on the other team. And now we're fighting. That's human nature devolving into this combative zero-sum game. Only one of us can be right. But God is big enough to embrace everything. God is the ultimate unifying reality. God is one and God is oneness. And the magic of God's oneness is not just a oneness that excludes otherness, but a oneness that embraces all otherness and embraces it as one. Does that make sense what I just said? You could have one that's exclusive, like, oh, we all get along because we've closed off this group and everyone else is banned. But then there's a oneness that is truly embracing and tolerant and inclusive where everybody is brought into that space of oneness and included. All right, does that make sense? Yes? Does any of this make sense? Sort of? This, this, or this? That's what I tell my kids. All right, good, all right. I have enough thumbs up, thumbs ups, thumbs up, that I feel comfortable continuing. So we're at the point where we know what we need to do. The question is, how do we get there? So I'm going to give you four meditations. Four meditations of how to view the other in a more healthy way so as to encourage inclusiveness and not divisiveness. The goal is to be inclusive and not divisive. So how do we do that? By the way, now it's, I think, an uh, appropriate time to mention that um, I think just about two years ago, I wrote a book called Inclusion and the Power of the Individual. And the the book, the core of the book is about um, the Jewish mandate as through the lens of, of Chabad teachings, the Jewish mandate and really the human mandate to be inclusive with regards to special needs. So that's like the core of the book. But in the, in the context, in the larger context, the book is really about the notion of human inclusion, right? So whether it's in the context of special needs or any, or any other concept, the idea to be inclusive. And, and part of that is the second half of the title, which is the power of the individual. Because inclusion doesn't mean that you have to be like me for me to embrace you. The whole point is that as an individual, different than me, I include you, I embrace you. Right? I don't embrace you only because... Okay, let, me, let me give you an, an anecdote on this. The Torah discusses in two places, in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, discusses the laws of kosher. What is kosher? It's what I like to call the Sinai diet. I just say that because like, you know, everyone's into like diets. Like There was Atkins and then South Beach and then Echvesvas. Oh, then there's... Um, help me out here. What are some other... Um, Mediterranean. Mediterranean, but keto, there's keto. Paleo. Paleo, yes, yes, good, good, good. Okay, so then there's the Sinai diet. What is the Sinai diet? The Sinai diet is ultimately the healthiest, right? Because it includes kishke and knishes and kugel and kreplach. I'm kidding, all the K words. No, I'm joking about that stuff. But, but the Sinai diet is kosher. And, um, and there's a reference to kosher. And twice in Torah, the Torah discusses 
what, uh, you know, what, what, what a Jew is to eat and not to eat. And it discusses this regarding land animals, fish, and birds. And regarding birds, the Torah lists a bunch of birds that are not kosher. And one of the birds, and, and, and according to the commentaries, the reason why these birds are not kosher, although it's a divine decree, but the rationale that we might apply is because all of the birds mentioned are birds of prey, right? Which means they daven all day. They're praying, I'm joking, the other prey. No, P-R, yes. I feel that I'm looking at, at faces of anguish in front of me, but also I can feel the energy of, of pain. And like, this is like, a day of affliction. It's almost like a Yom Kippur joke. It's like, ah, oh, you're afflicting me with the joke. So, but the birds of prey, birds that, that, that like attack each other. Like, I, I saw my backyard the other week. I saw a raven or a um, vulture. I don't know, some, some bird that, that I did not want to mess with. It was like, okay, that's a scary looking bird. I don't think I'm going to eat it. So it's not kosher. Birds of prey are not kosher. One of the birds that are mentioned as not kosher, is the chasida. Chasida. Now, hold on. If you know any Hebrew, the stork. Chasida is the stork. Excellent. But what is, but, but look at the word. Chasida. It's like chasid or chesed. Right? What does chesed mean? What's chesed? Kindness. kindness. Right? Chesed is kindness. So, Hold on, birds of prey, so why is a bird called kindness? So Rashi explains, the commentary explains, that why is the stork, and again, I, 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 the, only way, the only thing I know storks is they deliver babies. That's the only thing I know about storks, but other than that, and Dr. Maxi, can, as a pediatrician, you can cor corroborate, right? That's, uh, all right, fine, good, good, as long as we're on the same page here, that's it. Yes, Rabbi, anything you say, Rabbi. <laughs> there you go. By the way, I once spoke to someone, I had a friend in Yeshiva, who came from Russia, and he said in Russia, at least where he was from, I can't speak of all Russia, but he said where he was from, it wasn't a stork, but it was cabbage. Maybe, maybe it's a tradition elsewhere also, where you unwrap a cabbage, and there's a baby, huh? That's a gnosis saying. That's cabbage patch doll. Cabbage patch doll, I guess. And that must have been the origin of cabbage patch. And now it's, we probably should plug the Georgia nursery of cabbage patch dolls or whatever they have around here. But back to, back to our uh, backyard discussion. So the, the, it says that why, why is the store called the Hasida? Because she, whatever, just call, call, call it a her, because the stork does chesed, kindness, with her fellow storks. So the commentaries ask, so one second, so hold on, zookeeper, these bird facts. <laughs> good. <laughs> Pam is loving it. Okay, good, good, good. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, the stork, the, it, our sages say, the stork is, acts in a kind way to its fellow storks. So the commentaries ask, so why is it not kosher? It's not a bird of prey. And the answer that's given in the commentaries is, you, you got to pay attention to what it says. It acts kindly to its fellow birds. Ah, it's fellow birds. Oh, so if you're part of the group, now we love you. You're out of the group. No time for you. That's not kosher. What's kosher is, inclusion means that you're truly inclusive to the so-called other also. Right? It's not just, yeah, I'm inclusive to those that are like me. 
Bro, that's not inclusion. That's not inclusion. That's not inclusive. That's just sticking within your birds of a feather. Oh my gosh, this, we have so many bird things, right? This class is for the birds. All right. Anyway, this is um, this makes sense. So the goal is, how do we move from a click-based society, right, where we're all about the groups? You're in my group, you're amazing, can't do anything wrong, you're always right, right? You wave this type of flag, then you're right. You wear those colors, you're 100% right. And if you're the opposite, oh, you're always wrong, you can never be. How do we move from that place to a place of true embracing the other? It truly, in, true inclusion and loving the other and getting along. Atem nitzav mayom kuchem, Moses says. You're all standing here today. When you adopt, you can be one, when you adopt a divine perspective, from God's perspective, we're all one. How do we get on that page? Four meditations. Meditation, I'm going to give you the names of the meditation, and then I'm going to elaborate. Meditation number one is the totem pole. Meditation number two is the circle. Meditation number three is the body. And meditation number four is the one I forgot. No, right, meditation number four is, hold on, is... Uh, no, I just don't have a good name for it. We have the totem pole, the circle, the body, and the meditation to be named later. This feels like a good uh, professional trade, you know, for future consideration. So we'll talk about that as we get up to it. I'll let you name. Oh, perfect. I'm going to give you guys the naming rights for the fourth meditation. That's it. All right. Your name here. We're auctioning it off. We're st starting bid is $18. Okay, now, did I say $18? I meant $1,800. Okay, back to, our, back to our narrative. How do we get from me to we? How do we get from exclusive to inclusive? From divisive to loving? Meditation number one is the totem pole. And the totem pole meditation is like this. You think you're over here. You got to figure it out. You got it going on. And you see the other one, ah, that person. Slow down. You couldn't be where you are without the other person. Like a totem pole, maybe not like a totem pole. It really should be like a human pyramid. Although that sounds kind of cruel, whatever it is. But the point is, we can't get, we can't be where we are if not for others being where they are. Here is the meditation as described once again by Rabbi Aaron of Karlin. I'm going to share my screen. Let's look at it inside. I'll read this text. This is text number six. The totem pole. An analogy was offered by my predecessor, the righteous and holy Rabbi Shlomo of Karlin of blessed memory. And here is the analogy or the parable. A king wanted to reach a very high shelf, but did not have a tall enough ladder. That must be a really high shelf because I've, you know, okay. What did he do? He instructed many people to stand on each other's shoulders until the, the one at the top reached the item. Again, a really high shelf. So we have now a human, not a pyramid, but a human ladder of people standing on each other's shoulders. The top one is able to grab the item. Though the person at the top accomplished the goal, one cannot say that the person on the ground is superfluous. For if he would walk away, all would have fallen. And so meditation number one is like this. Even if my feeling is true, and, and that's debatable, but even if what I feel, what I sense is true, that I'm at the top of this 
whatever it is, the reality is that I, my success and my ability and my opportunities, etc., are all built off of the effort and, and the input of others. And therefore, I need to respect the other and love the other and appreciate the other and appreciate the role that everyone plays in our individual success. This is a meditation. may not sound like a meditation, but this is a, um, a way to think about this that can lead to um, a sense of greater unity as opposed to divisiveness. So what is the totem pole um, angle? The totem pole angle is that we're all, maybe it's not, maybe totem pole is the wrong word, but that's, it is what it is. But totem pole is like, we're all climbing and we all help each other kind of boost each other up. And so, yeah, someone's at the top. Someone's able to reach the shelf and grab the item. So someone ends up at the top. But are they fundamentally better than the one at the bottom? No. It's the one at the bottom is helping the one at the top get to the top. Without the one at the bottom, the one at the top couldn't get at the top. So everyone's needed. Everyone's necessary. Everyone helps each other. Um, there is, yes, there may be a hierarchy, so to speak, or there may be a sense of hierarchy, but the one at the top should recognize the value and the necessity of the ones at the so-called bottom. I'm not saying who's top, who's bottom. I'm just saying if a person were to feel that they were at the top, they have it all figured out, you have to know that, that there's, um, that, 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 that there's a, a collective shared experience here as well. All right, now that's one perspective, but I don't know about you, that's not 100% satisfactory because it's still very... Still judgy. I'm on top. You're on bottom. I'm standing on your head or your shoulders, and you know you're helping me. I don't know. It's still, still like not 100% inclusive. You guys with me on that? Do you feel the same way? Yes. Rabbi. Yes. It's, it's the foundation. The one on the bottom is the rock. The foundation. Right. Right. It's the Dwayne Johnson of the conversation. Right. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> right. So it's um, it's this idea that we. I know it's terrible. It's terrible. Before Rosh Hashanah, the jokes get worse. So i got to get all the bad jokes out for 557.81. It's the foundation. And you need a foundation. And, and maybe the foundation is not so glamorous or whatever, but, but it's necessary. Yes? Yeah, let me talk about it as it's like. Um, it's been said of some scientists, for example, said, yes, he or she is a, is a phenomenal scientist, but he stood on the shoulders of those who came before him. Right. Right. And I'm going to say like this, even Einstein, even Einstein stood on the shoulders of, of, of smaller scientists like me. I remember when I was a kid, we made that Mentos Diet Coke explosion. And I'm just going to say that that paved the way on some level because time is also relative for Albert Einstein. Mark, first of all, safe drive. Second of all, I'm loving the background. You're still, I, it's, it's hard to see exactly because I haven't made you the box, right? But nonetheless, looks like a cool sunset in the back. All right, here we go. That's one approach. I don't know, eh, foundation, we're all standing on each other's shoulders. Inter-inclusiveness, we need each other. Okay, that's a good first step. We have three more. Next step, meditation number two is not the totem pole. It's the circle. Because in the first construct that we just discussed, it's still a linear construct. In other words, there are those at the bottom and those at the top. And the ones at the top are at the top and bottom are at the bottom, even though they're needed, blah, blah, blah. But it's still top and bottom, which is a little bit like judgy. The second meditation is different. It's imagine you take the totem pole and you make it flexible 
and instead of being a pole, you stretch it or whatever it is and you make it into a circle. So now instead of being linear with a beginning and an end or a bottom and a top, you now have a circle by definition, a circle has no top or bottom. No one is any further or closer to the center, right? The center is, every part of the circle is equidistant to, right? Every part of the circle is equidistant to the center by definition, otherwise it's not a circle. Um, and, uh, and that's it. So there's no top, bottom, there's no right or wrong, there's no high, up, or, up, up or down, Every, everyone's equal. That's a greater form, this meditation is a greater form of human unity, relationship unity. And it says, in essence, what is the circle meditation? It's that not only is someone up and someone down, but the one up needs the one who's down. No, it's that we're all a circle and thus we're all equally necessary and play equally important roles in life. Okay? It means that we're all equally important. It's not like the one at the top that reached the shelf is the one who got it done, and the one at the bottom was only acting as a foundation, you know, acting as like, you know, muscle, but it's that everyone gets stuff done in their own way, and therefore everyone is important. Everyone has a place in the circle, etc. Even more so, I'll tell you this. Imagine, forget a totem pole because that's like, Okay, imagine a piece of string. You take a piece of string, right? You have a, you have a um, 12 inch. You have a, a foot long piece of string. Great, and you hold it from top to bottom, and now you say, oh, so when, when it's in linear configuration, so the one at the top is 12 inches higher than the one at the bottom. Okay, ooh, very different. Ooh, very, I don't know if I could talk to you because you're on top of me. Oh, we have a meditation that you couldn't be 12 inches up if I weren't taking up those other inches in between. Fine, so we, need, we, still, we still have a relativ, relativism. Beautiful. But imagine if we move from linear to circular. And now you make this string, the same 12-inch string, into instead of an up and down a string, you wrap it around into a perfect circle. What happens? The one at the top and the one at the bottom, where are they now? Next to each other. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You with me? Right? You had the one on top and one on the bottom, but if you make it into a circle, yeah? If you make it into a circle, right? Uh, it's like a heart thing. Oh, let's take a selfie. So if you, if you do... Um, so if you, do, if you do that, if you do a circle, so the one that was at the top, one is at the bottom, now they're neighbors. Now they're like, oh, you. And it's like, yeah, you. Huh, now you look at me. All right, well, no, they're going to get over that stuff. But the point is that everyone's in this, not in this, everyone is together equidistant. But what is the real meditation of the circle and how does that actually play out? For this, we go to the third analogy and that is of the body. So totem pole, circle, and now body. Let me share the next text with you, which is text number seven, which comes once again from the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad. He says like this. There is a great principle in the realm of holiness. The end is wedged in the beginning so that it has no beginning and no end. I'm going to say that again. The end is wedged in the beginning so that it has no beginning and no end. It is circular, okay? Because it stems from God who envelops the entire world. When we abnegate, when we abnegate our ego and are humble before our fellow to the point that no one is higher or lower than another, we become part of, a, of the sacred oneness that has no beginning and no end. Again, written in mystical terminology, but I hope the point is solid. The point is 
that in the realm of holiness, you don't have lines, you have circles. Holiness is defined by circles and not lines. Because lines imply beginnings and ends and lower and higher, and it's very judgy and it's very divisive. And that's not what holiness is about. Holiness is a circle, it's not a line. And that's why notes, tchilasan, besofan, besofan, betchilasan, the end, this line right here is, is from Kabbalah, the end is wedged in the beginning. As, end is wedged in the beginning means that when you get to the end, you find yourself back at the beginning like a circle. You travel the circle, yeah, and when you got to the end of the circle, the so-called end, you're back at the beginning again, right? It's like a, the can opener pheno phenomenon, right? You do the can opener, right? You're meandering around the can, yes, with your little twisty situation, yeah? And you go, you take the journey around the can, right? Choo -choo 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 -choo, see different aspects of the label. You get back to the, you get to the end, you're back at the beginning. That is the hallmark of holiness. The hallmark of holiness is circular realities. The world of called igulim, circles. Which is why, by the way, every th things that are related to holiness typically have circles. Think about it at a wedding, right? The idea of oneness between two human beings, the idea of marriage, a covenant, a covenantal bond is marked by a ring. And Kabbalah says it's very significant. It's not by chance that a ring is given. Why a ring? I don't know. I, you know, you Google it, you may find another reason. But according to Kabbalah, the reason is because a circle represents infinity. No beginning, no end, no top, no bottom, no me, no you. It's a oneness. And that's why we, at a, at a, a wedding specifically, a Jewish wedding, we do what types of dances, right? Circle dances. We do circle dances, right? Hava, nagi. No, we don't do hava, nagi. We do um, whatever it is. Circle dances. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you, Sandrine. Yeah, and the bride, thank you, the bride runs circles around uh, the groom, right? And that's, that's the way it is. Um, the circles, the circles are this idea of infinity, creating this sense of no beginning, no end, this, this, this timelessness and spacelessness and divisivelessness. That's not a word. Um, the idea of not being, no divisions. There can't be divisions when you're dealing with a circle. There's no up, there's no down, there's no beginning, there's no end, there's no me, there's no you. It's all one perfect continuum. That's the idea. Yes, Richard. Yeah, real quickly. Uh, I, I, I understand the concept you're saying. Uh, but you had told us one time, and I've heard this before, that Jewish history is linear and not circular. It's a spiral. It's linear. So, is that contradiction or not? Listen, listen. The dangerous thing is when you quote me on me. Because, like, now it's like, oi, so which, which one of me do I want to defend now? I'm kidding. It does say in the good text that, that we believe that, Jew, that time is not cyclical in a um, fatalistic type sense of, like, oi, we're fated to repeat the same mistakes of the past. We believe that there's progress to be made, thus linear but in truth, it's more like a spiral, right? Think of a spiral or a coil where it's moving in a direction, but it's still rotating in circles. That's more along the lines, all right? Think a spiral, think Tom Brady, I'm kidding, other spirals, right? Think of like a spiral like that, Azoi, where you're moving, but it's still, it's still got a cyclical, still got a cyclical thing. Back to our story. 
The idea of a circle, as we just saw in text day from the Alter Rebbe, is the end and the beginning touch. How's that possible? Beginning and end. They don't touch. They're like way far. No, no, no. Circles. Circles, man. Beginning and end touch in a circle, and they keep on going around. There's no beginning. There's no end. That's the goal of the unity. That is the goal of the unity. Back inside. Let's go back inside. Let's get more texts going here. Okay? That's text 7. Sorry, that was the circular perspective. Text 8 is the body perspective. Okay, by way of analogy, this, this furthers the idea. By way of analogy, consider the human gestalt from head to foot. I don't know why that word is used. Balkoma means the way a person stands upright from head to foot. Though the feet are at the bottom, and the head is at the top and is superior. Nevertheless, in at least one aspect, the feet are superior to the head. The head needs the feet to carry it to where it needs to go and to hold it upright. In addition, if there is an illness in the head, it can sometimes be corrected through procedures performed on the foot, which means that in some respects, the head is nurtured by the foot and isn't complete without it. Similarly, our people are a complete, are a single complete gestalt. Even if we consider ourselves a head, Compared to others, we are incomplete without them. If we seek it, we will find a deficiency within us that the other completes. This is the way the Alter Rebbe describes level three, which is the body. So we had level one as a totem pole, which I'm at the top, but I needed to step on others, so they play a role. Level two is not me versus you. I'm not higher than you. It's a circle. Level three is even more than that. It's not just a circle, which is a little vague, but it's like a body. And what is a body? A body is everything works together. The head serves the foot. The foot serves the head. The head tells the foot where to go. The foot takes the head where it wants to go. The head helps the foot heal. The foot helps the, the head heal. Everyone, ah, head heal. Get it, pun, heal. Anyway, the point is everything, everything helps the other thing. So it's like a circle. Again, we're st it's still kind of like a circle, but now in, in maybe more vivid terms with regard to the body. There is something about the way the body works that works in concert, and, and it's not me versus you. We're all, we're all working together. Okay, and that is level three. I want to jump to level four. We have only a few minutes left. We'll take questions after the class concludes. Um, but I want to get through the main concepts so we can wrap this together and, and have a sense of, of what our personal you know, work can be in these last few days of 5781 heading into the new year. Text number nine is the final stage, which is complete oneness, and you'll see why this is much higher than the prior three meditations. Level four is the following. This is from uh, Rabbi Arya Leibish Horowitz, who was a, um, who was he? a rabbi in halakhic authority. Okay, he says like this, all our people are like a single body. A body is, again, a body, but this is a higher level. A body is comprised of many limbs and arteries, some more important than others. The head and the heart are the seat of wisdom, whereas the hands and legs serve more basic needs. Similarly with our people, each of us is joined with others like a single body. And honestly, you can, in my opinion, don't worry about the first few lines. Look at that last line. Similarly with our people, each of us is joined with the others like a single body. Let me explain what this is adding. There's one analogy of the body where the head is the head, the foot is the foot, but they help each other out. That was level three. Level four, and Mark, I see your hand, but we're going to take you after we close out the class formally in the interest of time. 
level four is different. Level four is not that there's a head and there's a foot and they complement each other. It's the head and the foot are part of the same body. They share the same DNA. If you pluck a hair out of the head or you take skin, you know, a little skin, whatever, from the toe, from the heel, right? It's got the same DNA. It's the same body. It's not two different things. You see, the biggest mistake is, the core of the mistake is when we think that I'm me and you're you and we're different. The core solution to that is to realize we're all at the core essence, the same DNA. Physical, maybe not physical DNA, but spiritual DNA, we're absolutely the same. So here's where the body analogy goes even deeper, as text 9 just mentioned. The head doesn't just help the foot and the foot helps the head. They're complementary. No, 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 no. The head and the foot are all part of the same you. Your head and your foot is part of you. It's your head and your foot. It's not like your head and foot are in competition. It's like, oh, like the head wants this, the foot wants that. It's not a competition. It's you. Like the Talmud says. If you were cutting something, right? If you were cutting vegetables, right? And by mistake, the knife um, cut into your other hand. Would the other hand take retribution against the hand that cut it? Right? Would, you, would one hand become vindictive and say, you know, oh, you've done this to me so many times. I know you're out. You're, you're in it against me. I know you have something against me because I'm the other hand and you're jealous of me. Would you take revenge against your own hand? A healthy human being, again, healthy human being would not even think to take revenge against their own, the other hand. Why? Because it's not the other hand. It's you. It's not your head. It's not your foot. It's not right hand. It's not left hand. You know what it is? You, 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 and you. It's just you. It's not head or foot or hand or hand. It's you. That's the fourth level. Fourth level is to realize that we're all essentially one. So level one is, I'm me, you're you, I'm on the top, you're on the bottom, but yeah, I need you. Level one. Level two is, no. Level two is, no one's on top, no one's on bottom, we're all circular, we're all valuable, we're all, we're all necessary. Level three is deepening this. One second, let me just mute everybody so that it's not uh, noisy. Level three is not just we're all necessary, but we all complement each other. Like the, the head guides the foot and the foot guides the head. Not only are we all equally valuable, but we all complement each other. But the highest level is there's no me, there's no you. There's no head, there's no foot, there's no right hand, there's no left hand. It's just oneness. That's the core. So, we began the class with the opening verse of the Torah portion. Atem nitzav mayom kuchem, you are standing all here today. Together. And Moses says, I'm looking at the crowd, I'm scanning the crowd. I see leaders, I see elders, I see res so-called respectable members of the community. And then I see people that no one looks at, the woodchoppers, the water carriers, the so-called anonymous people amongst the community. And Moses says on the last day of his life, all of you are standing together. And this becomes our guiding call. This call over 30, 3,300 years ago, 
becomes our clarion call for today. Will we stand together in the year 2021? September 1st, 2021. These final days of 5781, will we stand together with each other, realizing that number one, we need each other. Number two, no one's better than the other. Number three, we complement each other. And number four, we're essentially one with the other. Will we realize that or not? The realization of that makes all the difference in the world. And it's the difference between a, a community, a, a society, in which people get along versus a society where everyone hates each other and is canceling each other and can't talk to each other and can't even you, you know you judge a society not based on how how much people agree a society is judged based on how people disagree when you disagree, how do you do it? How do you go about your disagreements? Do you fight about it? Or can you have a conversation about it? I said before, the, what, one of the things that they say about the Rebbe is that the Rebbe di didn't always agree with everything and everyone, uh, that everyone said. Uh, you know, but, but the Rebbe could disagree without being disagreeable. And it's not exclusive. Many people can do this. But this is what, our, what, this is what we need desperately today. We need to, to be able to, that doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that everyone says, but how do we get to a place where even though I have my opinion, you have your opinion, I can still treat you, I can still see you and therefore treat you like part of the same totem pole, part of the same circle, part of the same body, and one with me. And that the, the question, can we get ourselves to that place, will dictate how our, what our society looks like. When we choose to hate on each other and fight with each other, it erodes our society from the inside out. It, it just it grinds and grinds and grinds, and the facade might be beautiful, but inside is powder. It's nothing. It's dissolved inside. What keeps a community, a society, a world strong is when you build a strong insight. And the strong insight is people that can at the very least tolerate each other and at the very best love each other. This is what Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, our great leader Moses, this was the thing that he wished for on the last day of his life. He says, all I want for you guys is to get along. Think of a loving parent before they pass away. Let's say, because Moses was passing away that day. Think of a loving parent before they pass away, turning to their children and say, the greatest gift you can give me is you guys should always get along with each other. That's it. I don't need anything. I don't need, you know, don't, don't. The greatest gift you can give me as your parent is, I want you guys to always get along. That's the greatest gift. And, and you and I know that's the greatest gift. Whether for our kids or for our parents, whether alive or not, doesn't make a difference. The greatest gift is when we get along. That's it. That's what we call nachas. The greatest gift is, yeah, and doctors. I'm kidding. But like the greatest gift is when we get along with each other. That's it. And so let's give our Father in Heaven this greatest Rosh Hashanah gift, New Year's gift. Let's give the gift of committing to getting along, not just like a chasidah, not just like a stork, 
with those that agree with us, but even with those that don't agree with us. You're going to ask, but how could I, how could I even talk to somebody who disagrees with me? Try it. Try it. Try it. It won't kill you. It won't kill you. Civil conversations. You don't have to agree with everybody. Don't have to see eye to eye on every detail. You don't, the head is a head and the foot is a foot, but it's the same body. The head doesn't do what the foot does. The foot doesn't do what the head does. They complement each other, sure. But it's the same DNA. It doesn't happen overnight, but with some meditation. With some meditation, we can get there. And this is the greatest gift. And here's how I want to conclude this class. With one final point. On Rosh Hashanah, we turn to God and we ask God to give us a good year. We say to God, look, we haven't been perfect over the last 365 days. And we all know our deficiencies inside. We don't, we don't, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not anything we need to announce. We all know our flaws and we all know our shortcomings and we all know the areas in which we've uh, failed ourselves and failed others and failed God this year. But on Rosh Hashanah, we turn to God and say, God, despite, despite my shortcomings, I want you to love me. And I want you to give me all that I need. And you know what that means? You're asking God to move away from a linear relationship to a circular relationship. You're asking God, don't judge me based on performance, how far along the goal I've, you know, I've reached. Don't judge me based on how many points I've accrued this year because I know and God knows that I've fallen short of where I need to be, if we're honest. Don't judge me based on linear judging, linear points. But love me based on the fact that you love me. Love me based on the fact that you're my father and I'm your child. You're my God and I'm your, I'm your person, right? Love me based on that core reality. We don't want to be judged. Harshly. We don't want to be judged with a, micro, with a, you know, a magnifying glass. You know, how, how well did you do and you know, should, you, should, should you get the blessings that you need this year or not? No one wants that. We want to be judged in a positive way, without judgment, and just given the blessings that we need. Circular, not linear. And so my friends, if that's what we want, let's do the same to others. If we want that closeness with God that non-judgmental closeness, despite what we've done or haven't done, let's extend the same courtesy to the other person. Even though they don't meet our, whatever our standards are of what beliefs the other one should have, even if they don't meet that standard, let's extend the same love and consideration that we want God to extend to us. It's only right to be consistent. If we want love, let's share the love. If we want to be embraced unconditionally, let us embrace unconditionally. May this year be a year of blessing for us all. Blessing number one of health. Blessing number two, happiness. Blessing number three, in, and again, not ranking the order, but just an order that uh, I wish to, to bless you. Health and happiness. Nachas and everything that we need physically and spiritually and mentally, emotionally, the whole, the whole gamut of the, of the human experience. May all of our needs, all of our desires, the kosher ones, 
May they all be fulfilled for the good in an open and revealed way. May we all be written and sealed for a good year, for a happy and healthy sweet new year. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. We'll open it up now to questions. And uh, well, first, let us say amen to the blessings. Amen. All right. Amazing. Okay. Good, good, good. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed. Don't forget, next Wednesday, we don't have class. The Wednesday after that, we don't have class because one day is Rosh Hashanah. The next Wednesday is Yom Kippur. But we're doing the classes on Sundays. Not this coming Sunday. We've already done a Rosh Hashanah class. But the following Sunday and the Sunday after that, we'll have Yom Kippur and Sukkot, um, Torah study slash high holiday boot camp classes. So stay tuned for those announcements and those emails. Uh, check your local listings. I will also I mention... Yeah. Are you having Kabbalah and coffee this Sunday? In person? You know what? That's a really good question. I'm not sure. I think so, but let me just double check. I got to double check with the building and see what's going on. So I'll 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 I'll, uh, I'll message everybody for that. I do also want to mention we're doing services. We have traditional services indoors. We have learner services that I lead outdoors, out outside of our building on the Beltline. We have multiple canopies set up for comfort, cold water, etc. Everything is set. We've adjusted the weather to be comfortable, hopefully. I'm working on that. We have the, uh, we got the new Global Nest. I don't know if you've seen that new one. It's, I'm joking. Anyway, so we're working on the weather, but join us. It's going to be a lot of fun, 10 to 11.30, both days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a short service that's long on spirit. There you go. Okay, questions, comments. Let's go. Let's schmooze. Rabbi Ari? Yes. Um, Sorry. Um, is this example related to what you were saying when Mr. Rohr oh, was a young man and he was speaking to the Rebbe and he was so proud of the people that were coming to his synagogue and he said there were so many people with no background. Yep, yep. And the Rebbe disagreed, but the way he, you want to finish it? So it's, it's, it's the most, it always brings a smile to my face. It's like the best story. So thank you for, for mentioning it. So Mr. George Rohr, who is a very big supporter of Chabad and Chabad causes, um, if you've taken JLI classes, it's the J Jewish Learning Institute is actually called the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. Um, George's father, uh, Sam Shmuel Rohr, um, was also a great philanthropist. He passed away a few years ago. Anyway, but George is an amazing guy. He was doing a like beginner service on Rosh Hashanah, and he did it in Manhattan. And he wanted he came to the rabbi not to ask anything and not you know for a just to give the Rebbe nachas. This is his own words. He came not to ask, but to give. He wanted to make the Rebbe happy. And he said, Rebbe, I had a service in Manhattan, and we had, I forget the number, 100, 150, 50, whatever the number was, of Jews with no background that came to the service. And he was expecting a big smile. And instead, the Rebbe looks very serious, and he's like, uh-oh, what did I say wrong? And the Rebbe said, no background. Jews with no background, Right? Are they descendant from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah? Then, then they have a Jewish background. What do you mean no, no background? They have every background in the world. And the Rebbe gave him, and you can see the video. The videos, you just search George Rohr, Rebbe, Jews with no background. The video will come up. The Rebbe gives him a dollar. Uh, with the, the Rebbe always gave, um, when the Rebbe was giving out, you know, giving blessings and, and conversing with people, the Rebbe would give people dollars, in non-Shabbat, obviously for them to give to charity or to exchange it, to give to charity. The Rebbe always felt when two people meet, and a third should benefit. So the Rebbe gives him a dollar for charity, and the Rebbe gives him another dollar and says, and give this to all of those people with no background. And the Rebbe's, like, it was a, 
it was the Rebbe was very much, you know, correcting. But the point that Sarah is making is that the Rebbe disagreed without being disagreeable. The Rebbe didn't agree with the, the usage of language of Mr. George Rohr, right? The Rebbe disagreed with calling a Jew out as saying they have no background, right? Who are you to say they have no background? But did the Rebbe say it like that, right? How dare you call? No, the Rebbe, the Rebbe you know, got serious, but he said it in a way that he brought out the point and he did it in a, I'm not going to say humorous, but he did it in a way where the point was made but everyone felt good about that interaction. And that's the key. How do we, and I, sorry, that's why, just correct me if I'm wrong here. Sorry, that's why you brought that up, right? About how to disagree without being disagreeable, correct? I think so. Okay. Well, if you're not disagreeing, then I'm just going to take that as, as agreeing. So, right? It's like how to disagree without being disagreeable. The rebel is a master at that. And, and, and it's something that our world sorely needs. Um, I mean, I, th I feel like we're, we're in a place now in society, unfortunately, where we can be disagreeable even though we have nothing to disagree about. We just don't like people, even if we might actually agree with each other, but we're busy fighting. We, don't even, we can't even get to that point. Hey, who's this? Shmuley, who's this? Hi, Bella. Hey, Bella. How hey, how old is... Nice, <laughs> nice. Hey, um, okay, any other questions, comments? By the way, I know, I know the big question, said you're going to do in a second, the big question is, I'll answer it. Without you even asking, yes, I will be getting a haircut before the holidays, yes. Yes, mom, I will be getting a haircut before the holidays. Don't worry, it's going to happen. All right, so that answers the big question in the room. Centrine, yeah, I'll repeat the question. Can you explain again why do you call those meditation? Oh, why did I call? Oh, good. Sandrine's asking, why did I call these four meditations? So in Judaism, there's a different meaning to the word meditation. At least in the Hebrew, we'll call it hitbonenut. That means it's more contemplation than meditation. And it's something that you think about to the extent that it creates some sort of change within yourself. So meditation in Judaism is defined as not clearing the mind or emptying the mind or like humming. Meditation is defined as focusing on an idea until it changes something within you. So that was really my intention of calling these meditations. Focus on the imagery of that totem pole or human whatever ladder and, and think about it to the point that you embrace the other one. Think about the circle. Picture the circle and how we're all part of the circle and there's no in or out or up and down or higher or lower. It's all part of this, all equidistant. It's all part of the same continuum. Think about that until it affects the way we look at the other person. Think about the body, how each limb, each body part complements the other. Oh, you're looking good. No, I'm kidding. Complements the other. Um, or also like, oh, hey, the head helps the foot. The foot helps the head. Think about that imagery and then allow it to change the way you perceive the other. And of course, think about how not only do the limbs complement each other, it's all, the, it's all one body. It's all the same organism. And that should change the way, hopefully, the way we feel about each other and look at each other. So that's really the idea why I called it meditation. Things to think about that then change behavior. Uh, to give you another example, hit bonenut. Yeah, hit bonenut. Now, another, I heard this once from Rabbi Shea's Taub. 
who um, is fantastic. Rabbi Sheis Taub says, everyone practices meditation whether you know it or not. You ever, and he, this is the example that he used. He's like, you ever drive down, you ever, you know, one day you're driving to work, whatever, you're commuting. This is when people you know, would go to work out, outside. So driving to work, commuting, and, and suddenly you think about the not nice comment or the, you know, the interesting comment that the person said to you, your coworker said to you like two weeks ago, and you're thinking about it, and you start getting upset. You're like, you know, I can't believe they said it. And then you think, you know what, it's not the first time they said that. There's now a pattern. Because I remember like a year ago, the guy also said the same similar thing. And, oh, I bet. And you start creating all these connections. And before you know it, you're getting upset. And you're gripping the steering wheel. And you're getting tense. Like physiologically, like your body is tensing up. And meanwhile, that person's not there. No one's saying anything to you. So what's happening? Your brain, your own mind is conjuring up a physiological like a bodily reaction, that's meditation. Meditation is thinking so strongly about something to the point that it changes something within you. That's a negative meditation. Don't do that meditation. Do these meditations where it leads to greater unity and love. Donna. So um, getting back to what you were saying, so we every Jew has 5,782 years of Jewish background, right? So I was, I'm asking, yeah. A little bit less because uh, Jews didn't start at the beginning. Oh, Whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. But what, you know, nowadays there's a question that people ask Jews, ask each other, are you religious? And I, you know, I find, I find that the, I look at it the same way as you're saying. I think we're all religious in our own ways. I mean, but people are looking for some specific criteria. I will tell you that I have never asked anyone that question in my entire life. So, and I'm not going to sit here and I'll judge anyone who asked that question, but I will tell you that I've never asked that question. Not only that, I've never even thought to ask that question. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with the way the Rebbe taught us as Chabad Chassidim. It labels are for suits, right? Not for human beings. We don't label, oh, you're observant, you're not observant. I don't know. A Jew is a Jew. That's it. Right? And, and it's, I think that we do ourselves a disservice when everything is labeled. It's like, oh, who are you affiliated with? Are you affiliated? Are you a member? Affiliation and membership, it's like, it's also part of that thing. So, look, again, I'm not, it would be highly inconsistent for me to say, and anyone who labels out, because right, we're talking about here now being inclusive, right? Of the point here is though that to the best of our ability, we I think it bet it we're in a better place when we're not thinking in terms of you know these types of boxes. It's like the joke that I love telling about the lady who walks into the post office before Hanukkah and she asks for the Hanukkah stamps, and the clerk says, "In what denomination?" And she says, "Even stamps have different denominations." Yeah, I mean, now it's like forever bust, right? You just buy, but you know, back in the day, a five cent stamp, a 10 cent stamp, a one cent stamp, that sort of thing. All right, I'm explaining my jokes. That's like next level. That's when we know things have, have gone south. Ray, jump in. Um, yes, well, you know, as teachers, um, we're told to level um, HD, HD, whatever. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in it all because those levels, those labels stay with the kid for a lifetime, yeah. for a lifetime, and yep. it's someone's judgment, and then they label them, it, it's, 
I don't believe in it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. You're mentioning like um, ADD, ADHD, yes. like the, yes. 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 And the, the effect that they can have on the, on the, on the child's psyche and feel about themselves, self-confidence and the whole, like the label that they carry around for forever. Right. I mean, right. I think what we know today, and I, I'm not qualified. Here's, here's the disclaimer. I am not qualified to speak specifically about this topic. So let me just zoom out and speak generally. The idea of trauma, right? What we hear and what stuff that happens to us creates trauma and scars that last with us for a lifetime. That's real. I'm not going to say that this does, this doesn't. I'm not qualified to do that. That's not my profession. But I will say that, there's, that we have to be very careful with what we tell ourselves and our children or anyone else's children, be very careful when we put them in a box, even to the point that the psychologists believe, many do, that the self-esteem movement failed children because of that. You tell your kid, it's like, you know, you're good at this or you're not good at it. You tell your kid like, oh, you're so good at math. That could backfire, right? Why? It can backfire, and you think you're doing a great job because you're complimenting, so like what could go wrong? But it could be, it, it's problematic, it could be. Why? Because now you created a, almost like an expectation the kid has to be good at math, and then they don't want to try stuff that they can't do, so now they're only going to play it safe because otherwise they might not be good at math. They don't want to fail and lose that label. So the labels are so destructive and create so many unintended but consequences that, that psychologists are having a field day. I mean, unfortunately, just diagnosing it. it and it's, 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 it's terrible. It's terrible the, what, what, what an innocent or even a complimentary word can do in the negative. You know, the whole idea of Carol Dweck, the idea of growth mindset. You know, she wrote a book called Growth, I think. Oh, no, Mindset. So she's all about growth mindset. Different between fixed mindset and growth mindset. Anybody with me on this fixed versus growth mindset? Fixed mindset means I know what I know and that's it. Growth mindset is I'm open to learning. And her point is success stems from a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. The question is, though, how do you get a growth mindset? Part of it is not being afraid to try things you don't know, to question things that you believe already. It's not, it's not being afraid to experiment. That's, that's like the definition of a growth mindset. And the self-esteem movement, unfortunately, created, helped create a fixed mindset. Instead of being curious, instead of wanting to grow, it's like, oh, this is my box because someone, someone complimented me into a box. Now that's who I am. That's my definition. That, in other words, Ray, what I'm saying is I agree with you with the negative. What I'm saying, even a positive box is... I, it's Eichel the box. It's also a box. Even the positive box is a box. That's the big idea. Anyway, there's much more to talk about on these topics. All right, let's do the final. Yeah, Mom. Ari, I have just one thing to add. Sure. That when we ask God to have mercy on us, it's, it's the, the last contemplation, the last one. We're a part of you, God. We're no different. Right. So... So I just wanted to bring that out. Yeah, yeah. The idea that it's not us versus you, it's yeah. we're we're part of you. You're part of you, and you should, you know, have mercy on us, like you have mercy on yourself. Uh, you're right. Or like we say, like a vinu makenu, our father, a king. King right. implies distance. Father implies shared right. DNA. Exactly. Right. And I will say 
that that is the ultimate circle, right? Or the ultimate, not circle, the, the highest level the, is the body. That's the ultimate, and that's the ultimate message of, of the holidays. It's that we're not, we're, we're standing before God, not holding up our resume for the past year and saying, right. look what I've done. Because who really yeah. wants that? Who wants the audit? No one wants to be audited ever, especially by God on Russia. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I don't want to be audited. I, I don't want to be. No, I don't think anyone wants to be audited by God who knows all thoughts and everything. That's a scary proposition. So what do we come to God with? Not our, oh, look what I have. That's a bad move. That's like, I mean, whatever. Do, you do you, but that's not necessarily the, the, the best move. The best move is, as, as, as you said, Mom, it's I'm part of you, you're part of me. You love me unconditionally. I love you unconditionally. And that's it. And now that that's how we are in Rosh Hashanah, between us and God, now let's spread the love to others. And that's, that's the idea. All right, perfect. Perfect way to end. I want to wish everybody again, which is very fast for a very happy and healthy sweet new year. All right, great to see you guys. I want to welcome and say goodbye to those that I didn't say before. Steve and Karen and... Whoever I didn't mention, apologies. All right. Adina Malka, keep in touch. I want to hear about what's going on. All right. Thank you for the sponsorship and uh, lots of blessings. All right. Lots of love to everybody. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. Thank you so much, Rabbi Ari. Pleasure. Pleasure, Sarah. Take care.